This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Earth 2, Episodes 8 and 9. As a species, we've come a long way. We've learned how to control everything from DNA to matrimony. As a group, we're still trying to figure out whether we'll make it. We learn more about our limits every day. Even if that means telling a simple lie to protect a boy's life. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast renewing its vows to TV science fiction. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I'll tell you, I'm sorry, Luke, but you're just N-O-C-D. Not our class, dear. (laughs) Great acronym. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to start using that in my normal life. You're just (laughs) N-O-C-D. What does that mean? I'm like, oh, you don't know the lingo from Earth 2, a forgotten show from 1994? (laughs) Oh, man. Well, Jordan, before we get to this week's episode, do you want to kick us off? I thought we would do something we haven't done in a while. At least I don't think we've done in a while. It's a little bit of, I guess we're calling it, who would you rather? What would you rather? (laughs) I don't know. What are you calling it this time? I've changed the name, and it's going to be called, and pay attention. You have to figure this out. I should write this down. Pay off your grandparents' debt. Drink water from a belt, or have the Tarians bury you alive? This is a special Earth 2 version, but you'll see I've brought in a bunch of our, uh, our old friends from, uh, from past shows. Oh, good. You've brought in some oldies, some classics. Mm-hmm. Just so I'm clear. Yeah. I'm going to be long-term paying a debt with this person. I'm going to be having uh, a little fun in the desert by drinking some water out of their belt. That's true. Or uh, I'm ending my life with the Tarians. You probably will be burying them alive. Oh, I see. I give them to the Tarians. Yeah. I yeah. rip off their I rip off their Tarian bone necklace. Exactly. <laughs> I got you. They have no defense, and then the Tarians just pull them into their underworld to do whatever nefarious things they do under there. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> Okay, so the first category I have called Strong Female Leader. Okay. And your options are Devin Adair from Earth 2, Faye Peronovich from Nightmare Cafe, or Dr. Molly Ann Caffrey from Threshold. All right. Um, I am going to pay off my grandparents' debts long term with Faye from Nightmare Cafe. Yeah. I am going to uh, go down on the water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> of uh dr caffrey from uh from uh what's the show called threshold threshold and i'm afraid despite the fact i like the actress who's playing devon i just the character just doesn't work for me she's she's going down to the Terrians. i couldn't agree with you more i think there's uh, no other way you could go round two i'm called this rough around the edges <laughs> <laughs> we've got john danziger from earth two von rice from ultraviolet Eddie Monroe, K9000. <laughs> I know how this is going already. Oh, man, it's a tough one because I've got Vaughn Rice there, and I would just like to give it all to him, but i got to make a choice. I think, unfortunately, it's going to be Dan Zinger I'm going to pay off my debts with. Well, he's going to be happy about that. He's got a lot of debts to pay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to uh, 
uh, go down on um, Idris Elba's canteen. <laughs> yeah. And I guess uh, old K-9000 boy is going down to the terrace. Yeah, of course he's got to. All right, Luke. Round three. Robot friend. <laughs> Zero from Earth 2. Andy from Quark. Or the dinosaur robot from Steel Justice. Interesting. I like all these robots. I knew. I know you have a special place in your heart for Andy from Quark. But you're right. I do. And I'm afraid that uh, me and Andy are going to pay off some debts together. I can't yeah. wait to spend some time with that depressed <laughs> robot. Yeah. You're going to have to work on his neuroses, I think. No, I'm going to just elevate them. <laughs> I'm going to really fuck him up. I think I'm going to go down on the canteen of Robosaurus. Oh, that's a uh, good luck on that. <laughs> and then, not that I don't like Andy, but I just feel like I haven't got to know him enough. Zero, you mean zero. Oh, sorry, zero. You're right. I meant zero. I just haven't got to know zero enough. I agree. He could take his head off. I feel like he's got shades of Andy, but I just haven't got to know him enough. So he's going down to the Tarians. Yeah. All right. Round four. Dumb kid. <laughs> Ulysses Adair from Earth 2. Tommy Anderson from Earthbound. And here's a little special one. Crake from Planet of the Apes. He was the kid played by Jackie Earl Haley. I hate you so much for this. <laughs> Dumb kid. Well, I gotta now I gotta pick one of the canteens to go down and I hate you. <laughs> well, you know. And I mean I can't reverse it, it doesn't make it easier. We all know there's no real win here, but all right. I was gonna say I, I don't mean, make the rules, but I did make the rules. I mean I paying off my debts with uh the uh, the uh Planet of the Apes kid. I agree with you on that one, yeah. Crake. Um Both Tommy and Ulysses are awful. Yeah, but even though Crake's a bit of a traitor. <laughs> I won't say the words, but you. Uh, but I'm afraid that uh, the Earth, the Earth Two kid, or Earthbound, Earthbound kid, yeah, the Earthbound kid. What's his name? Tommy Anderson. Tommy Anderson is going to be my number two, and then you're going to drink water from his belt. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Yuli's going back with those Tarians. Right. Okay. I don't know. How do you pick between those two? I think. Crake is the best of the kids. I would say Ulysses is the worst, and Tommy's just like a little bit of a dope, so I think you probably made the best decision with the options you had. All right, great. I'm glad to hear I was right. <laughs> um, and sorry, what was it you wanted to do with Tommy? Fuck you. <laughs> okay, next round. Alien. We've got... You'll like this round. You've got the Grendlers from... Or a Grendler from Earth 2. Great. Isagol, Space Rangers. Do you remember Isagol? The I remember Isagol. Yeah, he wears like a negligee. He's like a like a weird blobby type yeah. alien monster thing. And uh, I had to look up the actual credit for what this person was called, and they're called Crabwalk Alien from the After. Oh yeah, I remember those little little demons. Yeah. All right. I am. Hmm. I mean, I am definitely going to pay off my debts with the Grendler. Really? I think I would go with Isagol. Really? I love those Grendlers. I love yeah, no, they're good. Them. They're good. I love them drooling everywhere. They got a real penchant for human clothes. <laughs> they do. They're going to be like, those pants. Um, you want to take those pants off? I mean, can't imagine the compliments to be like, I love those pants. <laughs> yeah, give them to me. Yeah, I think in this case, I think it's going to be Isagol, whose canteen I drink out of. Uh-huh. Um, I don't love Isagol, but I don't hate him. He's kind of fun. And just the crab walk alien, once again, did not get to know them well enough. They looked cool. Love that crab walk, but... You know what? They actually look like a Tarian, so they'll probably have a good time together. There you go. Next round. Cyborg. Oh, man. So many rounds. <laughs> I know. There's two more. I'm sorry. 
we can cut one of some of these out if, <laughs> if it goes too long. Um, cyborg. Now I don't know if these people are all specifically cyborg, but I was just you know, I was just making categories. So we've got Yale from Earth Two. Okay. Rex from Badlands Two Thousand Five. Oh yeah, I mean he's more of a robot, but we'll, yeah. we'll allow it. Well, and I, this one you'll have to—I I think it's on the line too. Eve Edison, man and machine. Again, a robot. I can't believe K nine thousand didn't make the mix. He was literally a cyborg dog. I know. I thought it'd be weird to th- stick a dog in there. He was in at one point. No, well, there you go. But Eve Edison, I thought you know. All right. Um, it's interesting. I think I'm gonna go half my debts with Eve Anderson. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, she's she actually was. Uh, Despite a few tropes she fell into, I felt she was at least interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like, I don't remember the robot's name from Badlands 2000. Rex. What was his name? Rex. Rex. Yeah. I don't mind Rex either. He was a lot of fun as well. So I'm going to canteen him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's That's got to be our new expression, Luke. I'm going to canteen that guy. And I mean, I don't dislike Yale, but he's a bit of a stick in the mud. So I'm afraid he's got to go down to those Tarians. Luke, I'm on the same page as you. I think almost every category. So I agree with you on that. Last round. You'll be happy. It's our last round. And I've called it Big Bad. (laughs) We've got Gaul from Earth 2, Ramsey from Inhumans, and the demon Asmodeus from Spectre. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Asmodeus. Who could forget? (laughs) Who could forget? this is a tough one i'm gonna be honest i mean here's the thing they're all kind of charismatic in their own way i mean gall is like he's a fan favorite everyone loves gall i mean the fact is i didn't know i loved tim curry as much as i loved tim curry till i saw him as gall so i'm gonna pay off my debts with gall mm-hmm. and i mean as Mattias is played by a fantastic actor but I also enjoyed old uh, Ramses from uh, Earth Two. He was one. Of, he was one of the highlights of that show. For Inhumans. Inhumans. Thank you. Sorry, I can't. I can't keep this all straight. I know it's head. a lot of shows. I'm gonna go go to the canteen of Ramsey, and I'm afraid I'm gonna send Asmatius to the Terrians, if only because I don't know if I've got a good enough sense of him. Mm. I think I would switch that. I think I would send uh, Ramsey to the uh, to the Tarians. I think he's too much posturing. I'm like enough of you. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. And I mean, you also want to uh, get that shape shifting powers you get from sexual release with Asmatius. That's true. I mean, I've always said I think my forehead is not prominent enough. Right. 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 Fair enough. Well, yeah. I, I I think you made some good points. Maybe you've changed my mind, but it's too late. I've locked my answers in. Well, there we are, and that's uh, and that's how you play this version of the game. <laughs> Whatever it was called. Whatever it was called. All right. Well, Jordan, that was great. I really enjoyed that. We haven't played it in a long time, and I did miss it. We'll have to do it again after we watch a bunch of other crappy shows. <laughs> it's time for the IMDb summary for episode eight, the Church of Morgan. With narration by Julia, the feeling of loneliness is adversely affecting the marriage status of Morgan and Bess. Meanwhile, at the urging of Riley, Dr. Heller addresses the growing symbiosis between Yuli and the Tarians. And that was courtesy of uh, Z.W. Zimdapa. Ah, Zimdapa. I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I think this episode of all the episodes is the most non-episode I've seen so far. Uh, It certainly... Gives that one episode with uh, Bess and Solace a run for its money. I mean, we'll go through it. I don't know what this is. <laughs> it begins 
with the uh, classic Morgan Martin band in full swing. Yeah, so Morgan's in uh, VR land. And I, I do like that they have, uh, the show is very good with its consistency. You know, they've established he really likes VR. He's always in VR. And now you're getting to see it kind of time and time again. And in this version, uh, he is in a jazz band, which is apparently what he wants. And he's the drummer. He's not doing a bad job at miming drumming. Um, but I do have a question for you, Luke. So what we see is... He's sitting in the field and he's playing jazz. And then eventually you get to see what he looks like, you know, to the, to, if you were happen to see someone in VR and what it is, it's him sitting on a rock, you know, miming, drumming. So we've seen this time and time again on this show when someone's in a VR, they're acting out what they're doing. And we see it at the end of this episode too. We see some people dancing, mime dancing. So you would think that in this VR world to move around the world, you have to move. Yes. But... I don't think they're consistent with that at all because we're going to see several times later on that people are in VR land and when we pull the headset off, they're just laying down or sitting or haven't moved at all. Am, am I wrong about that? I've had several questions about the VR myself and I think it is one of these things where it it is just, you know, some hand waving to make it work because I, I, when Morgan was eating all that food, I was like, can he taste it? How, like what what are the what are the rules of it and you know you could say because it's on that deck that sits on their head maybe it like sends their brain impulses and that's how they know that stuff but you're right sometimes it's like they need to walk around the space in vr to like interact with things and then sometimes it's like oh you can sit in that chair and now you're flying through space or something there is no consistency yeah. okay so i'm not wrong and I'm going to tell you, and we see this, I'll just spoil it now. We see this at the beginning of the next episode, another VR sequence where Yuli and True are playing in the Old West, and he's mm-hmm. like a sheriff shooting at things. And this is when I really clocked it. I think they, at some point, were like, oh, we've got VR. Let's just make it our holodeck. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they were like, this is a fun thing we can keep going to to get away from the same looking locale that they're in, which, to be fair, is the same every episode. But the difference is you can't knock off the holodeck because the holodeck's internal rules make sense. You're in a room that is constantly shifting around you, like there's physical items. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're using it like a holodeck, and I think it's very clear it's something they want to take from Star Trek because they think it's a fun device, which it is. can be on Star Trek. It's not always a fun device, but it can be. I don't think it's working on this show. I think they're they're starting to use it as a crutch. It starts becoming more and more of a plot device and in not always successful ways i think maybe why i think there's uh maybe as a viewer you sort of notice it is because they keep adding more rules to it now suddenly you can put on a headset and join someone other's vr or you can you can join in someone if you're in proximity and they don't know you're there or like there's all these things that are fine but it doesn't seem like they're very consistent with what this technology is and i think it's just that you're right they're just like it's fun let's just do it don't worry just kind of don't worry about it too much yeah i think it's evolved too i mean i would say in that first time we saw that vr they made strong implications that vr was an addictive entity that there probably was an addiction problem that morgan Mm -hmm. had but they have really backed off that idea and switched it into more of a fun that everyone does just like yeah, playful sort of thing that you can do. I don't know. I mean, I think you're right. It's inconsistent. I think they've changed their mind about what it is. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. We can get off this topic. But I, I think the way they've shifted it doesn't make internal logical sense to the to the world that exists. Yeah, but we do get to see a Western scene in the next episode. What a treat. Just like when Worf and his son used to go. <laughs> that is, I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> 
Anyway, getting back to this episode, yeah, we see Morgan outside of VR just like wailing his hands around. We see Bess taking a bath, looking very annoyed at him in his VR setup. Mm-hmm. And this is a Bess Morgan episode. And we kind of get into it very quickly. Is Bess is feeling guilty about something, and she like tracks down Yale because she hopes that his all his internal programming with uh, the as he puts it, the data on the 99 widely practiced religions on Earth. I didn't actually understand this. So she comes to him because she's feeling guilty. And what we find out is she is Catholic and she wants to have some sort of confession to a priest. But she knows he's not a priest. All he essentially is is an encyclopedia of religion. So I don't know what she was hoping for because he even says to her, if you want a friend, you can talk to me, but I can't absolve you in the religious sense that you were hoping for i think what it is and i mean i think you're right i think she's maybe overestimated what yale will do but i think she's just hoping hey yale basically has a computer encyclopedia in his brain maybe he can act out the rites of confession for me and that will be as good as confessing to a priest and yale's just not comfortable he's just like i am not a spiritual advisor i can't do right. that but we haven't mentioned luke what is she feeling she needs to confess about she feels guilty because she has been cheating on morgan emotionally <laughs> and i've said it before but the stakes have never been higher and it is funny because when she says she's been cheating on him emotionally she doesn't mean she's even like met a guy who she's like having just like conversations with there's just someone we'll never know who somewhere in the Eden Project who she maybe has a crush on. Like, that's it. I don't even think it's that much because they keep talking about it. It feels like at one point she was like, that person's attractive or she had like a dream or something about someone. And she has some sort of old school pre-Vatican II Catholic guilt about it. And it was just like, okay, this is what we're hanging the whole episode on. One thing we know for sure, though. She's not uh, She's not having a crush on Solace because he'd know if she was. <laughs> he does say that. He's such a funny character, and I don't know if they know what to do with him, but he's just like, yeah, like, like I know because I'm handsome. I know if a lady <laughs> likes me. And we're like, yeah, you are handsome. We all agree. Um, but essentially, uh, Yale basically recommends Beth should just go talk to her husband about it and just, like, you know, get it out in the open. It's the only way to deal with it. So... She goes to have a conversation with Morgan, who's like having a nap at the time. <laughs> yeah. And he reacts about as badly as you can. He's not sympathetic. I like how she broaches the subject. He's having a nap on the ground. She sits in next to him. And she's like, have you ever thought about other women? And his eyes just shoot open. <laughs> yeah. He feels like he's being set up for a trap. The whole thing is that you see a little bit of issue with their communication. And he feels... He can't say what he feels. She just is hoping to instigate him to tell her how he feels. And he can't do that because he's a man child. And that's the basic yeah. of this basic point she, of this episode. She comes clean. She's just like, I've been having impure thoughts about another person in the group. And uh, Morgan makes it very clear. He is not interested in an open marriage. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's His response is so odd because it's not what she said. And I, I mean, yeah, we'll just allow it because that's what they want this plot to be. But it's like, it seemed an overreaction even for his cartoon character. I mean, I, I felt it was right in line with who he is, but it is funny. I actually found what was interesting is I expected him to be more like outwardly jealous and upset about it. And his, his takeaway is weirder. Like, he seems to 
briefly considered the idea of like maybe it'll be an open marriage and then he just like goes on this weird witch hunt to like figure out who in the camp she has a crush on but since nobody knows because she's never told anyone he's just walking around asking every guy it's like does my wife have a crush on you and how would anybody know but the the interesting thing we get about this or maybe, maybe it's no oh, it's maybe it's only interesting to me is that we do find out a little bit more um about the world they live in which this show has done a pretty good job of like peppering in um over the episodes is that we find out that in this world or not this world but the world where the show is operating in there are marriage contracts that's true um do you want to talk a little bit about how marriage contract works yeah, well, I got that they said the standard is four years. Am I am I right? That's the minimum. Minimum is four years, and they and that's the contract that Bess and Morgan have, and they've been married for two, so they're supposed to have two more years in their marriage before they can see if they want to re up or not. But in terms of the actual marriage contract, I think it was sort of along the lines of something you had said in a previous podcast, where part of this marriage that Bess has it's not that she doesn't have feelings for him but there is a, a slight contractual element of he is bringing her out of uh not a great situation uh economically yeah I mean what we learn I think I think Yale at some point says it is that the marriage contracts came into effect I can't find it here there was an act on earth basically to offset falling birth rates in uh I think they called right. red flag zones yeah so I think the idea is like you lock into a marriage for a certain amount of time and then you can choose to extend and renew or you can choose to move on. Yeah. And but what what's the little thing that Alonzo tells Morgan that he hadn't realized about his marriage? Well, if he has a four year contract and they were asleep for how long? Twenty eleven years? Twenty two years. Something like that. Uh their marriage has ended. So technically they're not married anymore. So there you go. She's not even emotionally cheating on him because they're not married. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the premise of this episode. And most of it will be spent with like, it's very funny. I, this is what I think I mean when I say that I, Morgan's reaction is just funny to me. I, I think when he when she first tells him, like, I have a crush on another man, he gets obviously upset. And then his here's his line. He says, he's like, who is it? He's probably seen me naked. <laughs> I don't remember that line. And I'm just like, what are you worried about? And like, he spends most of his time, which is very funny. We've never seen him have friendships with anyone. Mm -hmm. But this entire episode is just like him hanging out with the boys. First, it's Alonzo. Then it's Dan Zigger. And uh, even some um, of those extras we've met along the way. He's always like chatting them up about like what's going on in his marriage. And like no one clearly likes him. But it is just so funny because just him walking around complaining to his boys, alternately like accusing them of being his wife's crush or be complaining that he's Earth 2's first cuckold. (laughs) <laughs> and i'm just gonna make a little point that it doesn't have anything to do with this luke so i'm hope i'm not grinding this to a halt but there's one thing that i noticed in either the first or second episode and it's becoming more and more prevalent and i don't know if you have caught it is the eagle noises have you noticed it in this show i have noticed it it is too much so for anyone listening the sound designer, whoever's doing the post on this, has decided that almost every time you see an establishing shot, you have that classic sandwich you would hear in things of, you know, you're in a desert or something, and you hear that eagle or bird kind of call, like, and they do it at least four to five times an episode. And I know what they're doing. It just is adding a little bit of uh, flavor and uh, to the world. But my point is, so are there are there eagles here in this world? It does beg an explanation. <laughs> It's one thing if they do it once, but they do it constantly to the point where it's distracting me now. Well, let's get back to what's going on yeah, with old sorry. Anyways, and Morgan. 
that's just my irritability there. <laughs> uh, Bess herself, now that she knows they're not married, and like this is something we've kind of seen seated, which is, I think, why this episode's a little bit of a shame and could have worked, is, you know, her husband's a man-child, and now that mm-hmm. she knows they're not married and she's had a crush on someone else and, like, she's talking about just kind of how he has been a bad husband. Like he never had much respect for her father because her father was just a lowly miner on earth. Mm -hmm. And like, even when they were leaving earth forever, he like weaseled his way out of going to say goodbye to her family. Like she has a lot of genuine complaints about their marriage. Is it this point where they mention, they say the faith wars at the end of the 21st century? No, no, no. That's a little later. Yeah, but I was just like, what? What are we talking about? Tell me more about that. It's like less about their emotional cheating and more about these faith wars in the 21st century. Don't worry. We'll get into that because that's all the B-plot of the story. That's right. You're right. You're right. Um, Oh, Luke, can I mention one other thing? Yeah. (laughs) This probably won't be in the the edit, but uh, for whatever reason, this one episode, I couldn't stop seeing Bess's lav mic is constantly visible under her shirt in this episode. Oh, really? Yeah. That's very funny. I'm noticing that in Eagles, and that tells you how good this episode is. There's also a fun little bit here where, which made me laugh so much because it's just so weird. When it's quite clear, there's like they're having some trouble because as soon as Bess and Morgan split up, we haven't seen them have many close relationships with people, and maybe Bess a few more people. But mm-hmm. of all the people Bess chooses to talk to, it's Devin Adair who they have had nothing but a contentious relationship. But now they're like best girlfriends. But you know why? The reason they've done it is because it's actually a larger problem. But in this episode, there's nothing for Devin to do. And they're like, well, we have to have this actress do something. But the larger problem is the character as a whole, they don't know what to do with her. So it's just like, just stick her in a couple different roles. And I I think that's becoming more and more clear as the show goes on. They just don't know what to do with this character that, you know, to be fair, they've written. One thing I did like, though, is we get a little more uh, Devin Adair backstory, which is to say that uh, Bess knew about her as a little girl on earth because she always looked up to Devin because she thought she was some sort of princess because essentially Devin's father designed and built all the stations. So they're just not, they're not just wealthy. They like are Kings. Yeah. Kudos to you. You saw this right off the bat about the, the class structure here and now they're really, really uh, leaning into it in these later episodes. But yeah, she's apparently like, I guess the equivalent of like a billionaire. Yeah. But all this kind of closes out with, like, you know, Morgan's complaining to Solace again one night, which is a funny scene because he's, like, laying on the ground of Morgan's or Solace's tent complaining to him as Solace is trying to sleep in a hammock. And Solace is finally like, I don't know, dude, just, I don't know, fix it. I don't care. Yeah. And what we see is Morgan goes off into the woods, goes into VR as he likes to, and keeps trying to have a VR conversation with Bess's dad, not Bess's actual dad. I think it's just a VR reconstruction of like, I guess what Bess's dad looked like. And it's just him sitting in the woods, trying to say something nice, I guess. He's basically recounting all his regrets and like trying to have a conversation he never had with Bess's dad. It's just really weird because it doesn't seem like that VR thing can even respond to him. Well, that that is weird. They, yeah, they just have the other character just sitting in this VR world, not saying anything. But I don't know if I understand exactly. Like, look, as a viewer, it's telegraphed, and you know why it's going to happen because he's saying these sweet things, and clearly Bess is going to walk in and hear what he's saying, and that's going to be how they bridge their problem. But I don't know if I understand why he would be doing that. If it was a VR with him and Bess, and he was 
testing out what her response would be and he's trying to figure out the best way to say something i would get it but saying something to her dad it's like i don't what, what are you going to get out of this now you're going to go hey Bess, here's what i should have said to my dad yeah i thought the same thing i thought when we saw him there it was going to be him practicing a speech to Bess. but then when we found out it was her father in vr what it felt like is they wanted a scene where he like called her father back on earth and fixed everything yeah but he can't do that so it's just this weird I don't know. It it just it was just a weird scene. And again, it's like you know what the whole scene's for. You know it's going to play out. She hears it and goes, "Oh, aren't you sweet? We do love each other." And guess what? We should get married again. Yeah, I believe he reproposes here. <laughs> yeah. And then uh do we go to the end of the episode b- before we go to plot B? Yeah, why not? We cut right to the end. Uh Yale is now officiating the wedding. So I guess he doesn't have that much problem being a priest after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, suddenly his story's changed. And it's just like it's just a wedding. It's like Earth Two's we- first wedding. Everyone from the Eden Project attends, and I just was just like, I don't buy that everybody. Like, there's no way people are so annoyed by this couple. Why is everybody here so happy to be attending? They're like, they've been not divorced for 24 hours, and at this point, they've established that no one really likes Morgan, and as a result, also doesn't like best. So it's, I mean, whatever. They wanted like a, everyone's in the VR land, everyone is dancing and at this wedding and they're all dressed up like it's the 1940s and uh, everyone's all classy. And then we end on them all, a, a long shot of them all miming the dancing. Because well, yeah, maybe we should explain this a little, a little bit better. Is like the wedding is in reality. It's just them sitting on logs. Yes. Morgan has a red bow tie. And then we do a cut, and they're now in a 1930s flapper VR world where, you know, it's a reception, everyone's dancing. It, you know, kind of makes sense. If you have this technology, why not use it for the wedding reception? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is fun because you cut out to that outside view of what it looks like to just see them dancing for no reason. And no single Eden Project member, with the exception of the married couple, is dancing with another real human being. Every single one of them has opted to dance with a hologram. Yeah. And what I like is, you know, it's that funny thing where you see a bunch of people mime dancing. But did you catch off to the corner of the whole, like, proceedings where they're all dancing in a field? Zero the robot is just standing there watching them all dance. Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I'll have to go back and look. He's just he's just a creeper. Um, but that kind of is essentially the A plot. We deal with this idea that they've laid, seated the entire season, that maybe there's some problems in their marriage. And they kind of just, like, smooth it all out in the most uninteresting way possible (laughs) to be fair i don't know how interesting a thread it was going to be anyway so like i'm not disappointed they just tied it up because it's like who really cared to be honest i mean yes there are more interesting options they could have taken but like i just don't think there's much meat there you know i thought they were just going to end the marriage like i thought that was fine i thought there was going to be a marriage that ends on earth too because they're not very compatible especially now that they're in this new world like that would have been fine no, we need this man-child to be married, though. I mean, and it would have at least added some... Like, I mean, it would have been silly, but at least you would have been able to add some stakes to future episodes as they, like, have to learn to work together and, like, aren't a couple or, like, you know, true or uh, Bess goes on a date and Morgan's upset. You know, at least they could have had some comedy episodes out of it. I suppose you're right, yeah. Anyway, uh, but let's go on to the B-plot of the episode, which is... Uh, at the beginning of this episode, Yuli's helping his mom move some silver foil-wrapped packages around. <laughs> he drops one on the ground, and when he goes to pick it up, he, like, sticks his hand into the ground like it's a hologram. Like, the effect is like it's a hologram. Like, he puts his hand through the ground like it doesn't exist. 
Yeah, and what we're supposed to get from it is that because of the previous relationship and dealings with the Tarians, um, because they've healed him, he now has some sort of hybrid DNA or he's been adjusted in some way, so he's starting to manifest some of their powers. Yeah, he, the idea is like, does Yuli have Tarian powers? Is he developing them? Now, let me tell you, Luke, do you, do you think it's exciting that you can stick your hand into the ground? Do you think that's a good power? I mean, I like I like what those uh, Tarians are up to. I love how they pop in out of the ground. So it's, 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 it's I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but he's not popping into the ground. He's just sticking his hand in some dirt. I mean, I think the effect was badly executed because it's not okay. like the Tarians disappear into the ground as if it's a hologram. Like, it's not like it pushing through an invisible wall for Yuli, whereas the Tarians seem to, like, actually get sucked in, like, the ground opens up and they're pulled into it. Like, mm -hmm. it's a better effect when the Tarians do it. Do you think when he stuck his hand in, he get a, a Tickle Gull who's still down there? <laughs> tickle Tickle. <laughs> um, but anyway, Dr. Heller sees this whole ground hand penetration thing. She calls up Terry O'Quinn in the virtual, who we finally get a name for. His name is Riley. Riley. Oh, and Luke, because we're going to go back to this place a lot in the next two episodes. We got to have a name for this. What are we going to call this weird zone that they go to? It's called the virtual. It's just called the virtual? Yeah, that's what they refer to it as. No, that's not that exciting. I want to have a, a cool name like Dead Zone. The Dead Zone? Anyway. Christopher Watkins hanging out there. Mm -hmm, exactly. Anyway, she sort of tells him about what's going on with Yuli. He's excited because uh, these powers could finally help him and the council like subjugate Earth 2's indigenous population. Like if they could control, if they can have Tarian powers, they can control the planet. Because what the council's learned is that the planet would die without the Tarians. Okay, maybe that's the point I didn't quite get. I still this is the the B plot of this episode, and it becomes the A plot of the next episode. I still don't know if I understand why they are so how they think this subjugation of the tarians is going to help them other than just like coming and conquering them as you know this sort of colonial race coming into a planet like i don't i just don't understand because they they sort of talk around it a lot but i'm like if you just want to conquer them conquer them like i don't understand well i mean here's i think the issue is they want, yeah, they want to make sure everyone, all the indigenous populations on Earth, too, are under their thumb and seem to even want it to be worse than that. Like, they want to basically have them in captivity or something. Mm -hmm. Why? It's unclear. It's just because they're bad guys. But as we've seen with Gull, and I think what they've discovered is once you put a Tarian into captivity, they die very easily. And as they've been applying with the like genetic makeup of the Tarians, how it seems to be mineral animal things, and I think I've said this before is I think the Tarians are the same as the planet. Like, they are one right. and the same. And they, right. he does say here, if we subjugate the Tarians, the planet will die. So he is trying to find some other way. So if Yuli can be the link to the planet, then other humans can be, then we can just run the planet without the Tarians. Okay, and that, that makes sense then, because it just felt like there was a lot of gobbledygook of like, we need this. And she's like, I don't know if I want to. And he's like, I need pineal glands. And she's like, well, I don't know if you can have it. And I was like, okay, guys, just like, just do something. Well, that is where things get a little more complicated is because Yuli's developing his power and Riley wants it to subjugate the indigenous population. He's just like, hey, let's, why don't you, Dr. Heller, cut out Yuli's pineal gland for me? And it seems to be because he believes that that's where the human soul lives is in the pineal gland. <sighs> How dumb was that? It doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's very funny because Riley's just like, 
listen, it's not a big deal to cut out a kid's pineal gland. I've done it before. I took some criminal kid and I cut out his pineal gland. <laughs> Didn't work and he died. But I think it's worth another try. Yeah, yeah. And I'm telling you, if there's one person you want to do a major surgery, it's Dr. Heller. And this is kind of where they talk about, I think, it's a little maybe later, but this is kind of where this is coming in, is I get the idea that maybe some of however the Terrians have affected Yuli might have affected his pineal gland, and maybe you want to study it to replicate it. Mm -hmm. But Riley very explicitly is talking about the soul existing in the pineal gland, and that that has been a theory that's been around for a while. And this is where you brought this up earlier. They talk about the faith wars at the end of the 21st century, where I guess all the faiths went to war with each other. Yeah, sure. Why not? But during that period of time, there were lots of pineal gland experiments on POWs, I guess, to try to find the human soul in the faith war to find out which was the real true faith. Was that what they were trying to say? They never specify. I I didn't understand any of this. Honestly, it got to the point where it just felt so... It just felt like they were talking. And I was like, I just get back to, like, having surgery on this kid. Like, I don't know. What, uh, they they want to have it both ways. They want to um, be, be subtle about uh, the world building. But then they also want to give you all this information about something that they haven't established. So I was just like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it is the problem. Is they basically are trying to tell us an interesting fact about previous Earth stuff, about this faith war, about these POWs, where they were trying to find the human soul in the pineal gland. And, like, half of them died when they tried. And no one ever proved it. And obviously, Riley still has some lingering ideas based on this stuff. But how that ties into Yuli changing into a Tarian and using that ability to control the planet, they never connect the tissue. Yeah. And I mean, if I'm being generous, maybe deep down in some Riley backstory, Riley believes that everything has a soul, including planets. So to control this planet, you have to connect to the planet's soul. But none of that is set up. None of that is explained. I am literally just guessing, doing guesswork here because they never connect these two ideas. Yeah, and I maybe that's that was my problem with this. It just seemed like they were talking around an idea. In the end, I don't understand what Tarot Quinn's motivation is. I understand what his end game is, but I don't understand how this is all manifesting in any way so it's just like i just don't think these scenes work at all because i feel as a viewer that i i just don't understand what the stakes they're trying to uh put in place it is weird because like even the basic stakes are technically there like yuli's turning into a tarian maybe let's study his pineal gland i'm a bad guy cut it out that's all you needed this whole other thing about the soul and the faith wars is color that they never connect to the core idea Right, right. Anyway, uh, Dr. Heller reluctantly agrees to possibly cut out Yuli's pineal gland. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you get a lot of scenes in this episode for the rest of her scenes are sort of like her sort of incognito, very trying to do tests on Yuli without uh, Devin knowing. But of course, Devin's only character trait is that she's a helicopter parent. So that's difficult. And that's you're going to see these scenes over and over. Yeah, I mean... Yuli's kind of freaked out by putting his hand to the ground. He's worried he's turning Tarian. Um, which, Jordan, sing the song, man. What? Turning Tarian? Yeah. It's like turning Japanese, but turning Tarian. <laughs> I don't have a song. I'll have to come up with something. Well, how's that song go? I was trying to remember it earlier today, but I'm like, I, mean, I think you could easily parody that song. Well, maybe. We'll just stick it in there. You'll do a whole rendition and have it in the, end of the episode. I have time to do that. 
anyway Devin does ask Keller to do some tests to like figure out like you know what's going on with uh, Yuli and like the first test they give him is a spinal tap which I felt was very extreme and it is not like a future spinal tap where like you have some easier way of getting spinal fluid out she literally just jams a huge needle into his spine well I had a question about that we've seen that she has the ability very much like Star Trek they have this little um tool that you stick on someone's neck and it immediately knocks them out and it's going to become a uh, a plot device throughout this and the next episode if they're going to do a spinal tap on yuli he doesn't need to be awake for that so why don't they just knock him out well i mean i think with the spinal tap the one thing that is futuristic that we see because i thought the same thing i'm like put this kid under if you're going to jam that needle in his back but he doesn't seem to feel anything when they do so i guess it's mm. auto it's like so good at auto sedating or like a um, what's it called like a topical anesthesia or something right right but you're right uh they do have like a classic um like hypo spray style thing it's a it's a injection device that you can just put on someone's neck automatically sedate them so those things exist um but i i think that was a very topical anesthesia is the thing i love your um you essentially uh filling in the blanks of this show and i think you've done a very good job but again i i think you're giving it a lot more credit than it maybe is deserves i mean it's all there the thing is i know it's all there they are just not like executing it to the capability they can Mm, maybe um because i think as we've seen it all technically is there it's just like they're not I don't know. It's not that they're doing a terrible job, but they're maybe not doing the like smoothest job approaching everything. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway, she's going to study his old uh, spinal fluid to see what's going on. She has a Terrian finger bone for some reason. Anytime ter- uh, Yuli's around, it starts like jitting around like a poltergeist is shaking it or something. Yeah. Sort of like it's. it looks like a finger and then it sort of like taps on the jar. And I guess it's just supposed to show Yuli has some sort of connection to the Tarians. Um, mm-hmm. But basically what she discovers from his spinal fluid is Yuli does have altered DNA, but it is not in any way similar to Tarian DNA. So something's going on, but he's not necessarily turning Tarian. So she needs to do some more experiments. She wants to get at that pineal gland finally. She's like, I got to figure out what's going on. So she takes that sedative uh, spray she has. And then she just goes around camp, like, sedating everyone in their way. Like, she's like a serial killer. If anyone who's not looking, she's sedating. She's going to Devin's tent. She's sedating her. She's sedating Yuli and abducting a child from his tent at night. Up to this point, she's done everything very mysteriously and quietly. But in this episode and the next, it's like she's just full on espionage. Subtlety is out the window for her. She's like, she is truly like taking huge risks. And it's very funny because she's constantly having to like when these people all wake up the next day, they all are groggy and wake up late. And they're like, it's so weird. You should look into it, Dr. Heller. And she's just like, eh, no, I, bet, I bet they're just real tired. Like her lies about why people are like being affected by her schemes are also so transparent. But it takes a little while for people to catch on either way. What I really like about she abducts Yuli because she's going to do this penal gland surgery on him. She does not take him to her tent where she has a surgery equipment. She sets up a surgical table in the middle of the woods. <laughs> well it's for privacy not very sanitary though that's true well she doesn't care if yuli dies and she starts cutting to his penile gland and a uh, tarian pops out of the ground to stop her it's holding a beating heart in its hand yeah i think someone just thought it was a cool image and it's like it's just holding it out to her but then yeah it it shows up and then suddenly it turns into alonzo yeah it kind of morphs or puts a mirage over itself to become alonzo and now it can speak English because it's become Alonzo. And he's like, 
basically telling her, if you do this to Yuli, you will kill him. And by extension, you will kill all of humanity. Essentially, the reason is, and what she's come to discover from this like interaction and her studies, is Yuli isn't becoming a Tarian. What he is is the next stage of human evolution. Right. Yeah. And I guess what we're supposed to know is the Tarians went through a similar evolution at some point, And now they are, I guess, at maybe not peak evolution, but some like later stage of of like an entity's evolution. And this is the way humans need to travel. And Yuli's begun that path. So to kill him is to, I guess, put an end to that. That progress. In that Dar- in Darwinian sense, if you cut that strand out right now, we may never get back there. These are some big ideas for an episode where the other plot line is, uh, uh, will these two get remarried, huh? I know. It is funny. It's like there's a wild thing happening on one side. It's not being very well executed. And then, <laughs> then a couple deciding whether they should stay married. Yeah. Not very effectively, partly because one of them is a cartoon character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, anyway... Dr. Heller gets all his information. She returns to the virtual to talk to Riley, where she kind of just decides she needs to lie to him to get like this. She can't go down this route anymore. So she just lies to Riley and says that Yuli no longer has a penal gland. Whatever the Tarians did to him must have evolved like or evolved or removed his penal gland. So she can't even take it out. Like it's impossible. All he just keeps saying in this scene, he's like, how can we harvest the power? (laughs) We got to get that power for the council. Yeah, And it, what, it, what it is, is it worries Riley because he's got all these other, he says all these other Syndrome kids are on the way. So now we have confirmation that Syndrome kids are coming to the planet. And he's really worried that if they all come here and they all get this Tarian power, that the council will lose control because the Syndrome kids will have all the power on the planet now. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like, my, like, just indoctrinate the kids. Well, I know. I thought the same thing because they've clearly implied that Julia herself has been indoctrinated since she was a child because her parents were part of the council. I think that's what they say. So it's like, yeah, why can't you do that with the new people that are coming in? Wouldn't you just have all these council kids have the same issues? I didn't really understand that. Yeah, just reveal yourself as being on Earth 2. When they arrive in whatever two years, you set up the colony they land at, and then you just control the situation. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but that's the episode, basically. Uh, Morgan and Best get remarried. Yuli's the next stage of human evolution. That's it. That's the whole episode. I love, I love, by the way, that sentence is all we needed, but somehow we were able to <laughs> talk about this episode for, for a long, long time for something that you're like, yeah, yeah that's it. That's all. I know. Is. I know. It's a real, you're really pushing the flaws of this podcast out to the open. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not what I meant, but anyway. <laughs> anyway, let's get, let's keep moving then. Here's the IMDb summary for episode nine, The Enemy Within. Humanity needs a new home, Heller, and you are living there. In Ulysses, you have found a possible bridge between humans and Tarians, and now you need to help us cross it. We are all depending on you. You must tell me where you are, so that we can come and collect the child. Who knows, when you do, maybe the Council will name an entire continent after your family. Yeah. Maybe they'll call it hell. Julia hopes the secret injection of Yuli's DNA will make her the link to the Tarians. When her VR visit with Riley is disclosed by True, Julia's conflict of project physician slash council patriot is considered by the group. Of course, that is from R.W. Zimdapa. Yeah, our old friend. 
and as you mentioned, this episode o- opens in that the sort of sepia-toned Western scene, which I have a feeling is how they're going to open all episodes from now on, not as a Western, but in a VR land. I think that's going to be their new... They're going to do a voiceover and a VR sequence at the opening of every episode. <laughs> that, well, I mean, that's how you get the viewers. Did you notice, though, you might have skipped past it, but the uh, they always do a recap at the beginning of these episodes just to catch you up. But this episode had a very long recap. No, I did watch it. Like It was like three minutes or something like that. I, I can tell you why, though. This was the first episode after Christmas break. So they'd been off air for a month. And I think this was like an attempt to be like, if anybody's coming in, uh, we've got to catch them up or we're going to lose them. It's funny. My first note here on my, my paper here is, this episode opening feels like a classic, let's get viewers in who haven't tuned in before. <laughs> I mean, that absolutely. Absolutely true. But what I liked about that v- the voiceover, I don't know if you noticed, because the voiceover has a change this time. It starts with Dr. Heller. It ends with Devin. But they basically have the same voiceover. And the voiceover is essentially saying, every day on Earth 2 is the same. We wake up. We walk a few kilometers. Yep. We settle down. We wake up. We walk. Like, and it's so funny because they're like really pointing out what we've noticed on the show. It's just like every episode is starting to feel the same as well. And it's like, it is so strange to hear them say at the beginning of this episode in VO, I think accidentally pointing out a huge flaw in this show. I agree. It's funny to say it right out in the open, but I felt the exact same thing. It's just like, yeah, it's the same thing every episode. So there you go. But that's wrong. the life we have. And they're not wrong. It starts with another trip into VR, as you mentioned, and then immediately goes into another plot from the council member, Riley. Basically, he's telling he's telling Julia this time, uh, I need you to do something else to Yuli. And he's, she's just like, not sure again. Like, once again, she's like, I'm not going to give up our location. He's like, just tell me where you are. Like, we've seen this scene before. And she, basically, this is, the plot of this episode is that Dr. Heller is basically going to be like, what about this? What if I isolate Yuli's mutant DNA and I inject it to myself and I'll become the conduit to the Tarians? But it is almost the same plot as the last episode you're right the the difference in this episode is uh the actress who plays julia and i can't remember her name it's a real her episode to act and act like a crazy person but this show has a weird thing where you can almost watch the show in two episodes it's good our podcast is uh uh, scheduled the way it is but this feels in a in a lot of ways to have much more action and much more plot than the previous episode but at the same time they've positioned it as an addendum to the other episode it's very odd yeah it feels like the last episode never ended or that someone was just like oh you know it's a better idea than what we did with yuli and heller in the last episode this idea so let's just so it just doesn't make sense they did both these plots and especially doesn't make sense they did them both back to back i agree i agree because it just feels like a remake of the last episode's plot between them again this is a real act off uh julia gets to really uh show her acting prowess and speaking of just another day on earth too we cut from that to danzinger fixing another vehicle like the only thing we see him doing is a funny thing we can mention here i actually feel like um uh what clancy brown right Mm mm-hmm he, for at I would say a good now two, three episodes, has had nothing to do. And also uh, the actress who plays Devin has had very, very little to do. This episode she does by the last act. But it's interesting that I think the writers are having difficulty parsing out things for all the characters to do. So you are having characters disappear for episodes at a time, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but... 
I sort of noticed it as they just don't know what to do with these people. So it's like, oh, he fixes stuff. So every episode, he'll just be in the background fixing something. Well, this episode, what they need him to do is they need him to injure Yuli so Dr. Heller has a reason to, like, start running her tests on him without being suspicious. And the way Yuli's injured was baffling. Set the scene. Zero, I think, is holding up a vehicle like a like a like a car of some sort yeah he's like you know when you jack up a car you're just using a robot to lift it right and danziger is working on it and then yuli just walks on by distracted and danziger's like all right we're all done with it zero drops the car and uh danziger thinks it's going to drop on yuli so he grabs yuli in the last second and pulls him out of the way but he still gets his knee his cut is that what happened that is what you just described i think was what probably was on the page and i think that was the intention but how it is shot is insane because what we see is yes zero's holding up a car he's working underneath it and then some four or five feet behind yuli and this is how it's shot you can see yuli four or five feet behind zero sorry he's quite a bit quite far away from the car itself he's like doing like fake kid kung fu or something (laughs) <laughs> i love that movie remember the movie fake kid kung fu and there is literally a shot of like zero holding the car you can see yuli behind him and then danziger says drop the car zero and as zero drops the car danziger's like oh no yuli's in trouble even though he's easily six feet away from the car so what right. you see is danziger leap away from the car and like tackle yuli to the ground really hard but none of the way it was set up or shot gave any indication that Yuli was anywhere near the car. I, I wonder why they did that. Maybe it was like a safety thing. They actually didn't want the kid near the car or something. Somewhere along the way, I think the intention was to shoot it with a perspective that might give you the implication that Yuli had wandered under the car. But the the angles they took had Yuli clearly standing behind Zero. So there was like no way he could have been behind the car. The important thing, though, Luke, is... He's been injured, and that means Julia's got just what she wants. Exactly, exactly. I know, I'm really harping on something that does not matter. (laughs) I mentioned those eagles, so everyone's allowed their thing. Yeah. So she takes Yuli to work on his scraped knee, and she, of course, immediately sedates him and knocks him unconscious so that she can, uh, once again, steal more of his DNA. Yeah, she's got a real hankering for that DNA. Which she takes, and I guess she probably does some sort of processing on it, but then she puts it in one of her little hypo sprays, and then she just injects herself in the neck with his uh, DNA immediately. We're supposed to believe she is conflicted as to her feelings for the group, the New Eden Project, and the council. So she's uh, she has this conflict between the two. So she doesn't want to hurt Yuli, so she thinks, I'll do it to myself. But it also seems like she actually does think that's a good idea? Well, I think her idea is like she wants to help the council, but she also wants to help the group. So if she just makes herself whatever Yuli is, then Yuli can be left alone and she'll just be the thing. Yeah. Okay. I think that's the idea. I don't You're know right. if it's like exactly makes sense. It's basically an excuse for Julie to inject herself and sort of have this like she's like a drug addict, I think. Well, there's just side effects, I think, is the idea. As she maybe transforms, there are side effects. But it is funny because finally, like, I would say there's been, this will be the third episode where Dr. Heller has run basically unknown experiments on Yuli without telling anyone. 
And every time she has, there has been scenes where Dr. Heller's like, I hope nobody notices the scar this time, or I hope this heals in time before anyone notices that I've like Mm -hmm. jammed a scalpel into this kid. But finally, Devin, when she's dressing Yuli because a eight-year-old is not capable of dressing himself. (laughs) I think it says more about Devin than him. I know. Um, She notices a a little pinprick on his back and she confronts Devin about it. And she's like, oh yeah, sorry. I had to take a quick uh, spinal tap of him again. No, but that's not really the scene. Devin comes to Julian's like, why does he have a scar here? And Julia is so aggressive. Like if she's trying to um, smooth things over, she's weirdly aggressive back. And I know it might be as a side effect of the drug she's taken, but it's like you're not convincing anyone being like super aggressive. No, I mean, that's something I've noted for the last few episodes, too. Every time Dr. Heller Julia is like in a position where she needs to lie, she is aggressively bad at it. Yeah, it's just like, what do you mean? Oh, who took the sandwich? You love sandwiches. That's a terrible example. There is some uh, good news happening this episode, though, Jordan. Mm hmm. Bess is really pushing old Solace to reconsider getting into a relationship with uh, with Dr. Heller. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And he's all like, but she, she turned me down. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm so good looking. Did I mention how good looking I was? I believe there's actually a line where she's just like, he's just like, I don't think I'm her type. And Bess is like, Solace, you're every woman's type. And I mean, and that's his character. Good looking. Um, and that evening, I, I think to your point, this is where we start seeing the side effects of, of her taking his DNA is he goes back to his tent. Dr. Heller's waiting inside. She's like, yo, we got to make out right now. And she's all into it. But you cut immediately to the morning in her tent. Saul drops by to be like, hey, you want to get some breakfast after our cool makeouts last night? And she's just like, <laughs> what What makeouts? She has no memory of anything that happened last night. She's now blacking out and doing things. I thought it was, do you remember in the original Superman movie from uh, whatever it was, 77 or whenever that movie came out? And... Uh, Superman apparently had the superpower of kissing Lois and taking her memory. That's what I assumed it was. It was a similar thing. <laughs> Solace can kiss memories away. Yeah. There's some problems with that. But yes, I think that's a power. It's also, I mean, those are the side effects. She's having blackouts. But she also, on one of her calls with uh, old Riley, a, a Tarian arrives and touches her. So something's happening. The Tarians seem to be reacting to her taking mm-hmm. these these things although when she does have that first interaction with the terrian who comes to see her he mostly just like screeches an ear-piercing screech and then dives back into the ground so it doesn't seem like it's going that well yeah it seems like she has made some sort of connection but it's not clear what it is and it seems to be maybe not a positive connection or at least uh, she's confusing everybody yeah but you know it is a connection of some sort and for whatever reason perhaps because her mind is like having trouble right now she decides i need some help with this experiment there must be someone in the group i can confide to and i mean there's clearly only one obvious choice of everyone on the eden project if you're going to confide to someone about the illegal experiments you were doing on yuli who would you choose jordan oh i think i would choose uh morgan i mean who else would you go to but cartoon morgan martin and (laughs) reveal everything you've been up to now from her perspective as a character does it make sense that she she needed Morgan's help? What what was her end game? What did she think was going to happen? He was going to rally the troops or he what was the help he was going to bring? I think the idea is and it just it's undercut by a few elements, but I think because she was clearly having side effects where she was blacking out, I think she felt she needed someone else to help her document the experiments so she had proper results. I think there was some scientific oh, method to it. Oh, oh, I didn't catch that. And 
it does make sense in the sense that she needs to tell someone about an illegal council experiment she's doing or not illegal but immoral maybe mm-hmm. and the only real company man in this group the only real guy who fits that bill is in some ways morgan martin he loves the bureaucracy he loves filling out reports he seems like he is a real council man through and through potentially but again i just don't know if it makes sense that he's going to be able to be that much support. I, I don't know. And I mean, I know it is just is what it is, but it's just like from a character perspective, it's like, does that make sense? I mean, the, the thing that undercuts it is Morgan has been presented as nothing but bumbling and a failure. So it doesn't make sense. Like there's no way she would trust him with such a such an important secret. He clearly is going to fuck it up. And he does. He's not into it. Like he's he's freaked out immediately because she she basically comes to a tent is like, Morgan, I need to tell you a secret. That secret can only be told up on the mountain. So they go up to the mountain. She starts telling him, you know, I've been working with the council and I'm injecting uh, myself with Uli's DNA. Yeah. And you can tell because I'm clearly talking faster. And then he's like, no, no, I I don't want anything to do with this. He tries escaping. She rips part of his shirt. And then um, she does. She does her finishing move. Yeah, her finishing move is a hypo spray that she uh, knocks him out with. Yeah, she she sedates him. I mean, to the credit of this Morgan character who they're finally doing something with a little bit is like, he immediately is just like, oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're telling Devin this immediately. Like, I am not doing this. But you must be excited, Luke, because it's been one episode where we haven't had this because what do they decide? Because now we see Morgan's missing. What, what should the team do? It's time for a search party, baby. <laughs> it's, it's called, this should be called space search party two <laughs> i mean it, yeah immediately De- uh, morgan's missing let's call a search party uh dr heller of course when they tell her she's missing she has no memory she blacked out she doesn't remember anything that happened to morgan there's some blood under her fingernails she's worried she, maybe she's killed him or something why is there blood under her fingernails unclear <laughs> <laughs> yeah because they want the, the viewer to think she clawed him to death she immediately jumps into the virtual to visit with uh, Riley. And uh, it's very funny because uh, Riley this whole time has been like, are you sure this experiment's working? You seem very unstable. And she hops and she's like, uh-oh, I think I killed Morgan last night. And he's just like, yeah, this experiment's a bad experiment. I don't like <laughs> yeah. it. It is funny because in all the other times she's been in this, uh, these conversations with him, he has been pushing her and trying to pressure her to do stuff and and in this instance he's like i think we need to back off this i didn't approve this plan and it's not going well and she's like no no no, it is going well i think if i'm acting crazy and i'm having problems from this i think the very logical solution as a doctor would be to inject more into me and he's like oh i think you're a terrible doctor and as the voiceover said jordan since it's just another repeating day on earth too much like when gall was talking to the grendlers True just happens to stumble upon Dr. Heller in the woods talking to Riley. It's funny. I'm, I'm sure you thought the same thing. But there's a scene early on where, um, apropos of nothing, True and Dan Zigger are having a conversation. She's like, what's up there? And he's like, people used to call that snow. And she's like, wow, I get I, that's exciting. And it just is so clear that she's going to go look for snow. And that Julia is going to have her secret conversations there. Like, you could just see it from a mile away. And it's just, I'll, I'll say something about this episode. The first three quarters of the episode are so telegraphed and so everything you think is going to happen. And then the last five to ten minutes, they're like, how about we just throw crazy stuff at the wall? <laughs> I mean, it's funny that you say that was telegraphed. I forgot that scene even happened. So, I, I, Oh, it, really? I didn't even connect the two. I just thought it was true. I thought it was a plot convenience that True wandered through the forest. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I just as soon as they they saw that, I was like, oh, I guess she's gonna walk in on a conversation because it's the the conversations she's having in secret are stupid. The fact that you have to do this in this VR world, like, of course, someone's gonna overhear you at some point. Yeah, and I mean, technically, this is the second time True sees her twice this episode because this is mm-hmm. the second time because this time True goes back and she brings her own VR deck with her and hops into the virtual to see what Doctor Heller is doing. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was crazy. It's like you are on a secret call with this council member. Do you guys not have any security on these lines? Like anybody walking by can just hop into your virtual call. And not only that, and we're going to find out later, apparently they also record these conversations. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe. It's possible. I guess they, mu- they must. But True jumps in. They immediately see True standing in the virtual with them. They're like, uh-oh. It's a big ra- Basically... Dr. Heller's now chasing True back to camp to try to stop her from telling everyone what she's doing. True gets there first, and she's just like, in the middle of camp, just like, Dr. Heller's talking to someone in the woods. She's on VR talking to somebody, plotting something about Yuli. And everyone in camp's just like, oh, True, you little liar. No, no, but what I liked is this is, I think, the, the moment where the episode really gets going. Everyone's like, you know, you didn't you didn't see anything. And then Julie's like, why would you say those sorts of things? Yeah, I and like then, that Dr. Heller shows up too. And she's like, she's like, what's going on here? And just starts gaslighting True as yeah. hard as possible. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, Bess just injects her in the neck. And Julia goes down and she's like, I believe you. Commercial break. And I was like, yes, finally something's happening. I do like that Bess appears to be the most perceptive person amongst this group. She's always presented yeah. as like uh, an innocent, which makes her dumb. But of all the characters on the show, she's the only one who seems to figure out what's going on ever. I agree. Also, she reveals that uh, part of the reason she knew is I guess she has a listening device or like she has access to everything Morgan hears. Like they have tracking devices on each other. So he, she listened back to M- Morgan's conversations the night before. But then we do see uh, in that same scene, we, you know, so basically we get the next scene after the commercial break is Bess is playing for them the audio. So they get to hear the conversation that had happened between Morgan and Julia. But then what's his face? Yale is at the computer screen and he pulls up video of Julia recording herself on the headset like giving explaining what she's doing well yeah yale's they're in her tent and yale's basically going through her experiment files because i guess she hasn't encrypted them or maybe yale can crack it but he's basically going over all of her notes on the experiment and he so basically i mean it's a shortcut so they don't have to figure out what's going on basically yale's able to be like explain immediately that what these dna injections are he knows all about how the memory loss works they basically are caught up they're like julie is talking to somebody in the virtual and she's been doing experiments on Yuli and inject it. Like, they basically just get all the information in, like, two seconds. I mean, it's fine. I think it's just to get... The, you have to get these characters caught up really quickly. Yeah. And Julia's kind of passed out because they've sedated her in her bed. And there's a little bit of a cut. And uh, Julia kind of comes to finally. She's in her bed in her tent. And everyone's, like, gathered in a circle talking about her. But they're not looking at her. So she rolls off her bed and, like, sneaks out of the tent and runs away into the forest. Because she's, she's so guilty. She's going to try to figure out the last place she saw Morgan and try to find him. And then what ensues is fantastic. It is true. She's there. And suddenly Devin shows up. And Devin's like, we know what you've been doing. Like, you've got to come clean. Yeah, she's like. Who have you been talking to? Tell us what's going on in this planet. What happened to Morgan, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then they just start wailing on each other. Well, I, I want to talk a little about their conversation because it's a great conversation, to, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> because she wants to know who she's been talking to in the virtual. It's really great because Dr. Heller's like, did you really think you were the only person who was interested in a habitable planet? Did you really think that could possibly be true? 
and she's just like this isn't your planet Devin you are not god here which is great yeah. like i love it when people stand up to devin because she needs it and it's true there is there's the idea that i think what they're implying is that devin and these large very rich corporations have made these decisions that they're going to do this thing without really considering that maybe some other corporation or some other group or some other type of uh, people are maybe also want to, you know, yeah. have those uh, resources. Well, just it, like, it's crazy that Devin's the first person to ever think about coming to Earth 2 if the entire world knows there's a second habitable planet that you can get to very easily. Mm -hmm. What I really like about this, though, is, you know, she points this out. She really rubs it in Devin's face of just like, how naive can you be? And Devin immediately changes the subject to her son, Yuli. And what about my son? And I'm just like, okay, you have to give Devin more to do than just have her constantly turn any conversation to being about her son. But that's the unfortunate thing that this actress is saddled with is she is, unfortunately, should be the main character in the show. And I would argue is the worst written character of all the characters, including the children. She is the worst written character. It's very unfortunate. But you're right. After this little conversation, you know, classic full-blown fight on the side of a cliff. They're punching. They're fighting. <laughs> Dr. Heller gets the upper hand, and she plants a kick square in Drew, uh, Devin's chest and kicks Devin off the side of a cliff. Yeah, and you get you get a very similar shot to, like, um, the end of RoboCop where the person's falling down. You get that, that eagle-eye view of her just falling off the cliff. And I was like, this is great. This is what I want this show to be. I mean... I think you and I both know intellectually there's no way Devin was going to die. But how excited were you for like two seconds that Devin might be dead? I was also just like, oh, please let it happen. For a moment, I thought the show was going to really, really do something interesting. I know they're not going to, but how shocking would it have been? Much more shocking than the first episode where they killed this character you don't know about. But like, don't set it up don't have any sort of grand uh, reason for it. Just a character just dies. And the, and who is the main character? It would have been great. But of course, she's not dead. Yeah, of course, they, you have to pull the rug out from under the viewer. And Julia's just been in VR the whole time. They put a VR headset on her when they tied her up so that she'd like wake up and then show her, show them the last place she left Morgan, I guess. Like it was just a plan to figure out where Morgan was. I think they also wanted to get information from her, right? I guess they so, did, yeah. Like De Devin didn't do a very good job at actually trying to get information. It was like at best stalling. They didn't get anything new that they didn't already basically know. And but it, that basically wraps up like they now know where Morgan is, so they find him tied to a tree. Dr. Heller won't give up any more information about who she's working for. And they're kind of, I guess, stuck at an impasse because like they get Morgan back they know Dr. Heller's a traitor, but they don't know why or who she's working for. And we kind of get the final moment of it is the next morning, Dr. Heller wakes up in her tent and she's been untied. And what we get is she walks out of her tent and she sees no one is around. And we get actually a really good shot. Um, uh, I would say it's a drone shot, but it clearly isn't from this time. A helicopter shot of just pulling up further and further and further to see that she is alone and they have left her. Yes, the, the group has voted to abandon Dr. Heller in the woods now it does seem like i like it i think it's an interesting an interesting thing for the show to do and i think it almost saves this boring episode don't you think it seems overly cruel for them to have voted that it's not like she's done something so terrible to everybody she's only ever she's only really done something to yuli but i mean i like that it's i think it sets up some interesting things for this show going forward but as a group that seems overly cruel 
I mean, it's certainly, I, I think, kind of the traitor element and the fact there still were, like, there was that explosion on the ship and this, like, brings some of those things back. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not wrong. I think it is, like, I also was like, oh, that's that's some harsh punishment right there. You get to, like, die on this planet now. I mean, you know she's not going to be able to find vegetation. She's made that clear. <laughs> and, I mean, I guess you could say, like, clearly she can communicate with whoever these people are, so maybe they can just come pick her up or whatever. But That's true. I liked it, though. I, I agree. I was just, like finally a strong turn in the show like mm-hmm. like yeah, abandoning her in the woods is is i'm like this is good like it almost saves the episode not quite you're I right agree. but uh it, it at least was like a strong unexpected turn yes an unexpected turn in a show one of their major flaws is there is no unexpected turns and i mean i think it's maybe probably speaks to the time of the show where things played out over longer periods of time because either you had longer seasons or like plots just use were were stretched out more it would have been nicer if they're gonna if this is where they're headed maybe they should this should have happened like three or four episodes ago when she started experimenting on him like but mm-hmm. i think it's just part of the time that's uh do you have anything else about these two episodes no i mean that pretty much wraps it up um i did want to make a, a couple final notes here for you though sure uh when i don't know did you see the title of the first episode before you watched or afterward church of morgan I saw it before, and I'll be honest, I was kind of disappointed as to what it uh, actually was. I thought for sure Morgan was going to set up his own church, his own religion. I did too. And then it was just like, he gets married again? How is this the Church of Morgan? I know. And it's almost unfair, because if you were watching at the time, you wouldn't have seen the the title. But I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, this is at least going to be kind of a fun uh, one episode kind of turn and different from uh, what we've seen before. And I was like, oh, this is not a good episode. I think it might be called Church of Morgan because at the end when they get remarried, I think he breaks with like the typical marriage contract and like opts for a lifetime marriage or something. And it's like a Morgan original or something. I don't know. Anyways, it's not a good episode. (laughs) And going back to Church of Morgan, just for you, it was directed by a Continuum Drag all-star. Oh, who was it directed by? I didn't know I haven't written down his name because it doesn't matter. But uh, he has directed episodes of Freaky Links before this. (laughs) Well, no, he would have directed this and then Freaky Links. That's true. For us, it was before. That's For chronology, right. it was after. Oh, man, what a resume. <laughs> but that, that's it. That's the whole episode. Let's get into writing these things, Jordan. Uh, what did you think of Church of Morgan? I'm going to give Church of Morgan a 3 out of 10. And it's not that it's the worst episode ever, but I feel like by the time we're in episode 8 now, they can't have episodes like this. This is This is a time waster at best, and... Uh, you can't give it much more than a three. Yeah, I mean, I've been going back and forth on what to give it because it's it's not a strong episode. Like, it's not, it's not even that it couldn't work. The idea of the couple dealing with marital problems, like, there's a way to do that. The A and B plot don't really mix together, which isn't the end of the world. I don't know. It's, but it just, it wasn't great. It's a non-episode. You could take this episode out and the next episode would still work. Yeah, I, I'm going to give it a 3.5. <laughs> okay, that extra 0.5. I was probably going to give it a five or a four at some point, but I, I think the more we talked about it, the more I realized how absolutely like redundant it was. Yeah. And then uh, the enemy within. Okay, I'm going to blow your mind on this. I was going to give this a five up until about five minutes to the end of the episode, but I have to give it one extra point for uh, the two women fighting in VR land and kicking uh, Devin off the cliff. And I'm also going to give it one point for leaving her by herself. So I'm going to give it a seven out of 10, even though... I don't think this is a 7 out of 10 episode. I have to give credit to where the show was good, but like it's not a good episode. It's actually a 5. 
I do agree. I'm actually going to upgrade it because of the end and because of that great sequence where she gets kicked off the cliff. There's then there's a few couple cool effect shots in it. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I, you know what I think it is too? I think this episode ends up being less interesting, less relevant because we just watched the the same basic plot between yeah. Dr. Heller and Yuli experimenting. If this had been the only episode about it, it probably would have been like a really interesting episode, but we had just seen them go through all the same paces one episode before it. I'm going to only give it a six, though. We were pretty close, I think, on those. Not too far apart. Um, but that wraps it up for uh, this round of uh, Earth 2 episodes. So if you have anything you have to say about Earth 2, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And of course, on Instagram and Twitter, we'll have some uh, clips from these episodes. You can follow us at continuumdrag. That's the handle for both those accounts. Um, but that about wraps it up. So, listener, thank you for joining us. And, Jordan, see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.